Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Tiffany Haddish ended up in foster care after a serious car accident left her mother with even more serious complications. Getting into trouble herself, Tiffany found refuge and more at the Laugh Factory Comedy Camp. It hasn't all been easy since then, but after appearing on several TV comedy competitions, Tiffany has landed a supporting role on the critically acclaimed NBC sitcom The Carmichael Show and the new Key and Peele movie Keanu. She looks back on her journey with me, so let's get to it! I was saying, Tiffany, uh, I definitely remember the first time I met you. I don't know if you remember the first time you met me. We were I don't know. <laughs> it was in Montreal. We were in a shuttle van for for Just for Laughs. And you were with your manager, I'm guessing. And, and she was telling me like how you were going to be the next big thing. And then we met again outside the party venue. This is when they had the their own building with a loft where they had the party. And you... You uh, you greeted me with such fervor that we both knocked backward down on the uh, down on the sidewalk, and I think I got a concussion from it. So, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I remember. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope you're not OJ Simpsoning anybody. Not that you have a concussion. No, I'm not. I'm, everything's fine now. But you definitely left left a lasting impact on me. You- <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, it, it, it strikes me like you're one of the first names who's already been announced uh, this summer, 2016, in Montreal for the Nasty Show, which you've done for yeah. for how many years? You've done that? Say what? For how many years? Yeah, for the Montreal and the Nasty Show. Um, this will be my third time, do- no, second time doing it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, no, third time. Yeah, I've done it quite a few times now that I think about it, Yeah. <laughs> I'm good with nasty. Yeah, I was gonna ask when was when was the when was the last time that you were referred to as like a good girl or an angel or felt that way about yourself? Never. I feel that way about myself now, though. But I've, I haven't been referred to that way since I was like twelve. <laughs> oh, I mean, that, that's a winning yeah, answer. I, I mean, I've been talking. I've been talking shit for years, man. <laughs> Where, I say talking shit. Now, actually doing anything, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother story. Well, I, I talk a good game. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to ask you about that because that's part of your story is 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 getting into trouble and, and, and talking trash got you into comedy in the first place. Right. Exactly. What? I mean, yeah, I used, I used to get in trouble in school a lot because I didn't know how to fit in, so... I used to just try to make people laugh. That was like my goal. Like if I could make people laugh, then they'll do things for me. They'll be nice to me. And I learned that from the Who Framed Roger Rabbit movie where the detective says to the rabbit, why are these people doing this nice stuff for you? And he goes, because I make them laugh, Eddie. If you make people laugh, they'll do anything for you. And so I'm like, I was like, yeah, I need people to do my homework. I need people to take me places and show me things. So I'm going to make them laugh. And I made a lot of friends, but I got in a lot of trouble with my teachers and stuff. And then my social worker was coming up there every week, and she was like, look, you got two choices this summer. You can go to the Laugh Factory comedy camp, or you can go to psychiatric therapy. Which one you want to do? And I was like, which one got drugs? She said, oh, you're going to be on drugs if you go to therapy. So 
boom, I went to the comedy camp, and here I am, 20 years later, on drugs and telling jokes. <laughs> how did that? How did that social worker though know about this comedy camp? Uh, they, the Laugh Factory had emailed them. Uh, uh, not emailed, but at the time it was faxed. They would fax to all the different. Uh, different uh, departments for children affairs in the Los Angeles County. Okay. And she had just happened to get a fax across her fax machine. It was like, yeah, because I was also, like, it wasn't like I wasn't talented or anything because I had already uh, won a couple of drama festivals, doing monologues and stuff, like beating out 300 and some kids in the drama festival and the Shakespeare festivals. And so, um, you know, I was using my, my gift uh, and I even got, like, declared a gifted student of dramatic arts at L.A. Unified School District. And they sent me to Cal State L.A. before I even graduated high school. I got accepted in the NYU um, to do theater, but I didn't want to leave L.A. because I didn't want to leave my brothers and sisters behind. I had never been nowhere. So I was like, I'm going right. to just go to Santa Monica Community College, and I'm going to just become famous. And <laughs> it did not work like that. How, how, how old were you when you did the comedy camp? Uh, I was about, I was 15, about to be 16. Okay. And how old were you yeah. when you were doing the drama monologues? Was that the same time or before that? Uh, that was around the same time. I mean, I started doing that when I was like 14, uh, yeah, 13, 14 in the drama classes and stuff at the school. I went to Hell Middle School in El Camino Real. And, um, I mean, I was, I was kind of famous there, you know, <laughs> in my, in my mind, they put a plaque on the wall with my name on it. Like, well, that's number famous. one mascot. You know, number one mascot. Yes, yeah, so I was a mascot. I was a conquistador. I was a Spanish soldier, and uh, but I talked, <laughs> and I didn't talk Spanish. Mm -hmm. uh, were yeah. you were you staying with your grandmother at the time, or were you in foster care? What what was your living situation? Um, my grandma like? had got my grandma had got custody of me uh, by the time I got into the comedy camp, okay. and uh, but I was still cons considered a foster youth. Because anything that I wanted to do, I had to go to court to get permission. Like, when I went into the comedy camp and Channel 2 News wanted to do a story on me, I had to go to the... My social workers like, they can't film you unless you go to the judge and ask permission because you're state property. And, you know, we don't want you to get stolen or kidnapped or whatever. So I had to go to court and uh, they petitioned to the judge to be allowed to be on the news. And I remember when he was like... Uh, what are you doing here, Miss Haddish? I was like, I'm trying to become something. He was like, what are you trying to become? I was like, a comedian. He was like, why? I was like, because I just want people to help me. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, and how are you going about becoming a comedian? I said, I'm at, I'm at the Laugh Factory Comedy Camp, and the Channel 2 News came through, and who knows, that my daddy might see me, and then you guys don't have to be bothered with me no more. And it, he was like, well, we don't want you to get kidnapped. I was like, yeah, but I want to meet my dad. Like, it was like a solo conversation. And then he was like, you're really determined, aren't you? I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to be good at it, too. I'm going to be really good. Like, y'all need to let me be on TV. And so he signed the paperwork so I could do it. But it was the same thing with getting my driver's license, too. I had to go get court permission to go get a driver's license. So was that, was your, was that in inadvertently your first TV credit? That is my very first TV credit is the Channel 2 News. <laughs> now, before 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 all this, when you were still a, a young girl uh, with your mother, what did you mm -hmm. what did you think you wanted to do with your life then? Uh, be, oh, man, I thought I wanted <laughs> I 
used to, my grandma used to always say to uh, us and my mom used to say, do what you love. Like, whatever it is you love, that's what you need to do. You might not make no money out of it at first, but do what it is you love. So I love Snickers, and I wanted to work at a Snickers factory, and I loved beef jerky, so I wanted <laughs> I wanted to own a beef jerky company so I could eat all the beef jerky I wanted. And I I used to love wearing pantyhose, but I used to hate when they would get runs. Uh-huh. And so I wanted to own, like, a, a pantyhose company so I could learn how to fix the runs in pockets. <laughs> did you, did you, uh, I know you mentioned Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Did you also then love Willy Wonka? Oh, uh, man. Yeah, I loved Willy Wonka. Because there a kid actually gets to have the, the Snickers factory. Yeah, right there. Yes. Yeah, I did love Willy Wonka. Actually, I love, you know what I loved about it is it taught like a lesson on, you know, greed mm-hmm. and being kind to others and stuff. And like, you know, and candy is a good thing, but it can turn against you. And then, you know, now as an adult, I know that for a fact. And this cellulite gets real. I'm skinny fat, you know. So, mm. so you know, as a little kid thinking you want to have a Snickers factory or, or a beef jerky factory or... Or, or have, I wanted to be a horse farmer too. I love horses, especially at the grocery store, mm-hmm. and they'd be out in front, and then you ride around on them, and then you get to do five dollars, and they put a cowboy hat on you, and they take a picture. I used to love that. <laughs> so, how much then did did having to go to foster care change all of those ambitions? Oh my God, it changed it drastically. Well, then you know, once I went into the system, I got hit with reality. Like, you know. Well, at least what I thought reality was, was, and at the time, and now that I think about it, you know, that was dumb as hell, but I was, by the time I got into the system, you know, I was thinking I wasn't good enough, I was thinking I couldn't do nothing, you know, I'm going to just end up like the rest of these chicks out here and have a baby daddy or two, give me a welfare check, you know, just, I really didn't think I would be anything, you know, I just thought I would just, just, I wouldn't be nothing. And maybe get a job at McDonald's or something. Like, I didn't really have a, any big dreams because I didn't think I was worth anything. And then it was like, you know, that once my grandma got custody, it's like everything kind of changed. Mm-hmm. My point of view in life changed. I mean, the, the things that I was surrounded by changed. The people that I was around changed. And, like, and people started talking positively towards me. And not being like, because my mama used to be like, you look like your ugly ass daddy. You ain't never going to be shit. Like after she had that car accident, she became the devil. I feel like she was possessed or something, you know. So it wasn't a loving woman that I knew before the accident. She was somebody else. She was beating me every day. I really felt like, you know, I was just here to be her punching bag and to let her take her stress out on it. You know, I didn't feel like I was worth shit. But but being being moved out of foster care and then with your grandmother really kind of gave you a second wind. It yeah, like. it, it really did. And then and also living in those different places with those different people, it showed like you know I got to see how other people lived and it really like opened my eyes to a lot of things. Like, yo, uh, you know, just because I'm because we black don't mean we have roaches. You know, everybody ha- have roaches. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like certain things that. You know, I learned in like how to cook meals and and just how to live with different people and and then my grandma she just really taught me how to value have value in who I am and that you know just because you are you know you were a foster kid don't mean 
nothing wrong with you because the state is paying. She's paid all the time. The state, the state of California, paying me a lot of money to make sure you live. So it must be something important you're gonna do on this earth, because otherwise they wouldn't invest in you. They paying me five hundred dollars a month to make sure you don't die. So if you want to kill yourself, you wait till you turn eighteen and just do whatever you're gonna do. But I, I wouldn't do it if I was you, because somebody think you worth something. They paying me. <laughs> how how many different She's right. uh, how many different family right. how many different families were you with before um family? i was in uh the basically three well i was in a group home mm-hmm. then i went to this this uh black lady into a hispanic family so were they all in the same city home. school district or were you also having to change schools every time um well they wanted me to change schools but i wouldn't i would catch the bus i got in trouble a few times for being AWOL or whatever, because I would just go, you know. I didn't care, because I wanted to be around those. I felt like school was my safe place, you know, and it's where I got to be silly, and, and, you know, I had friends, and I just, I liked it. So I made sure I went to school, no matter what. If I had to catch it, back then it was the RTD, and you had to ride three hours to get to school, because I was going to school in the valley. I I, I would ride three hours. I did, I did not care. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did not, because I felt like that was, you know, I was cool. I was a cool kid, you know. I might not have had no boyfriend, but everybody used to like to be around me. If I didn't have no lunch, people would give me lunch. Like, it was it was the best. I, well, well that's I how loved you, it. That's how you get that plaque to be number one mascot, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what did you know about comedy before you arrived at the Laugh Factory? Um, I knew that I liked it. I knew that I would um, try to hang out with my white friends so that I, because they had cable, so I could watch BET Comic View. My mom, before she had her car accident, she would always play like um, Bill Cosby records, mm-hmm. and like she had a Lenny Bruce record and a, and a Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy. She had those records, and she used to play them. But like when she would play like Lenny Bruce and Richard Pryor, she would play it when she thought we were all asleep. But I was not asleep. I was up listening, giggling with, you know, like just it, like, and to hear my mom laugh, that was like also something that I really loved. To hear her laugh was like my thing. And then when, after, even after the accident, if I could get her to laugh, I was less likely to get punched. So it was like, well, how can I make her laugh today? What, I'm going to try to do a Bill Cosby impersonation. Or I'm going to try to do that Richard Pryor, but I ain't going to say the bad words, you know. Right. Um, talking about the, the boo-boo hitting my booty on the toilet and all this stuff, like the water hitting my booty and like stupid shit like that. Like, I, I, my mission would be like, I'm going to try to make her smile twice today so then she won't punch me. But, I mean, and now I know better, but it, <laughs> it didn't matter. It's still a great self-defense technique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my self-defense technique is uh, <laughs> make you laugh. <laughs> it's so, hard to swing when you're laughing hard. <laughs> so who who runs, who or who did run the comedy camp? It, it wasn't Jamie Masada himself, was it? Yeah, Jamie Masada was there. Um, he was he was uh, one of the instructors. Okay. Uh, but um, it was different. Uh, comedians would come through mm-hmm. every week. Like um, Dane Cook came through. Uh, Charles Fleischer, who did the voice of Roger Rabbit, so that was like full circle for me <laughs> to be able to meet the guy who inspired me to be funny and silly. You know, uh, who did the voice of the character, anyways, and he was. Uh, he's still a good friend of mine. He's so kind and motivational, and he's a scientist, and he inspires me in science and all that. Then, oh, man, when Richard Pryor rolled in in his wheelchair, that was like the day for me. Oh, my gosh. Came up in there <laughs> in that wheelchair, and I was on stage telling my jokes. He stopped me in the middle of my jokes. 
He goes, stop, stop. What are you doing? I said, I'm telling a joke. He goes, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. He goes, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. He goes, no, you're not. I said, well, what am I doing? He said, you're getting on my nerves. That's what you're doing. Look, people don't come to comedy shows because they want to hear about your problems or what's going on in the world or about pop culture. They don't care about any of that. People come to comedy shows because they want to have fun. So when you're on stage, you need to be having fun. If you're having fun, they having fun. If you're not having fun, they're looking at you like, what the hell did I spend my money on? So make sure you're having fun. And so I've kind of taken that philosophy with me in everything that I do in life. Mm -hmm. That's why I like, I only do what I love because then that way I can have fun and the people that are involved with me or around me are enjoying themselves too and want to work with me more in the future. Did any of the other people in your comedy camp end up pursuing stand-up as a career? Uh, Amanda Bynes and then um, Amanda Bynes is the most famous one that I know of. Right. <laughs> and then there's Kenny Johnson who was doing comedy. He dibble-dabbles. And then... Um, a Spanish dude named uh, Edwin, not Edwin San Juan. What's his name? Edward. Salazar? I can't think of Edward's last No. No, he's older. Okay. Is he? Yeah, no, not him. Uh, his name is Edwin, but I can't think of his last name. It's not San Juan. That's the Filipino dude. This is Spanish. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of his last name. But mm. he's, he's still doing comedy. And um, so there's about four of us that are like really i mean i guess three really because i don't think amanda Bynes is doing stand-up no but, but she was in at the same time as you yeah could you tell yep. that she, could you tell that she was going to be a huge tv star i could tell she had a mama star? and a daddy and they was writing her jokes for her and she was <laughs> very well rehearsed and she was going to do something i knew she could memorize some lines mm -hmm. <laughs> so. <laughs> did you take any anything away from that for, for your own well for my own well yeah. I just know I, I, what I learned from I mean from I wasn't the best reader in school like I used to like manipulate people into reading to me so, and I had a great memory so memorizing things was not really uh, my problem it was you know uh, reading and being able to understand what I was reading and uh, my drama teacher figured that out like uh, when I was like 14 she was like, read this, and I would always try to go to the bathroom or something, and then on my way to the bathroom, I would stop somebody and get them to read it to me, be like, oh, I love your voice. Can you read this to me? I want to hear how you would say it. Uh -huh. And then I would memorize it and go back. Like, that was my thing. And um, and she figured it out, and she used to make me come every lunch in nutrition for like a year and a half till I got like better at just picking up something and reading it, but... Uh, did I learn anything from Amanda Bynes? No. Was I jealous of her? Yes, because this has had a mom and a daddy come pick her up every week. I was like jealous. Now, <laughs> so. now I've heard stories that the the comedy camp used to also go to Neverland. Did you? Did your group go? No, my group didn't go. That was like the year before us. They went. My group didn't go. Did Did you think you were going to get to go see Michael Jackson and? I would have liked to. I mean, we got to meet Quincy Jones. He came through. Oh, that's nice. No, and uh, the Wayans brothers, a lot of them came. And I mean, I remember when Chris Pinter came in there, he was on that BET show. I think it was called Vibe or Live. Mm -hmm. And I just thought he was the most famous thing in the world. And he was just talking to us like we was regular. And, and I was be like, can I come to the TV show taping? And he was like, yeah, but he wasn't allowed to know dang TV show taping. <laughs> If I, Michael Jackson would have came in there, I would have act like I was a little boy. I would have, whatever it took, I would have did it. Did you? I would have been there. 
Did you realize as a teenager how special it was though to have Richard Pryor critiquing your comedy? No, I mean, I knew it was I knew it was dope because, you know, everybody would talk about him all the time when I would say, Oh, I'm going to the comedy camp and I know I knew that my mom loved him because she had all his records and stuff. And she was a Jehovah Witness and not supposed to be listening to stuff like that. <laughs> so, you know, I knew he was dope but I didn't realize the I didn't realize the extent of his, you know, legendariness. But then, then again, the Wayne's yeah. family is Jehovah's Witness, so. Yeah, yeah. So. So, and that's funny. I still, you know, sometimes I still go to the, um, depending on who invite me, I'll go to the uh, the memorials they have, mm-hmm. and it kind of just makes me remember when my mom was normal, kind of. <laughs> How long did it take after that comedy camp camp for you to pursue stand up as a career? Well, I was doing it moonlighting all through my teens, and then um, once I got emancipated, I kind of just cut it off because I wasn't making no money at it. You know, Jamie gave me like twenty dollars to do a spot here and there, and that's that wasn't making me no money. So um, I would say by the time I was twenty-one mm-hmm. is when I decided I'm going to do it for real. Because then I did end up in psychiatric therapy. I was like super depressed and. My therapist was like, what makes you happy? And I was like, seeing people laugh, you know, hearing them smile. I mean, hearing them laugh, seeing them smile, that that's what makes me happy. And she was like, why don't you do that, like, as a hobby? Do comedy again as a hobby. And I was like, hmm, okay. And I started doing it. And, like, after my third open mic, somebody wanted to pay me. And I was like, what? $50 for 10 minutes? Yeah. And that's why I was like, I'm going to do this all the time. <laughs> just start getting serious about it. And that was back in 2002, 2001. Okay. And I got started to get serious. What? And I was, like, doing it all the time. And so what were you doing for work to pay the bills? Uh, I was working at an airline. I was working at Alaska Airlines as a customer service agent. Okay. And um, I would try all my jokes out on the passengers and stuff. So mm-hmm. it was a great place to uh, try jokes on different types of people. And uh, and then I stopped working there in, like, 2003 because I, I really just felt like, you know, I was getting opportunities, you know, um, to do featured extra work. <laughs> I really thought that was a big deal. <laughs> and then I look back, I'm like, ooh, I quit my job to make $100 a day. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it was, like, the best thing, though. I remember getting my, my SAG vouchers, doing a Craven movie. Uh, Which movie was that? It was, um, I think it was called Scream or Scary something. I think it was called Scream. I forget what it was called. Mm-hmm. But it was about, it was Scott Bayo and, um, what's her name? Not Annette Punicello. What's that girl name that was in, uh, uh, the Addams Family that played Wednesday? Um, oh. Uh, Christina Ricci, yeah. Christina Ricci, uh-huh. and uh, I was featured extra as a screamer, and I had to scream for three days in a row. And uh, Sky Bayo was a werewolf or something like that. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, Sky Bayo's the dude that played Charles in Charge, right? Yeah, 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 that guy. So yeah, I did that, and then a few other little movies where I was just like a featured extra, and then. Um, and then one of my old co-workers had told, uh, talked to her, her friends who was an agent, and she was telling her, you know what, I'm just having the hardest time finding an attractive black woman that's funny. Are there? There's, like, no such thing as an attractive black woman that tells jokes, is there? And my friend from work was like, I know somebody. She used to work with me. She does comedy. She's so cute. She's beautiful. And, 
And so, um, and I had kept my phone number listed in case my dad ever was trying to find me so he could just call information and find me. <laughs> and this talent agent called information, got my phone number, called me, and I thought it was like a setup for a party or something. Mm-hmm. Like a, finally, like a going away party because I had just quit the airlines. And um, it wasn't. It was like actually an interview to be with an agency. And the, I was there like, I had dressed up like I was going to a party, too. I was decked out ready right mm-hmm. and uh yeah it turns out it's just some regular a regular agency and they wanted to represent me and she thought she kept saying if you're as funny as you are right now in this room if you're just half as funny as that on stage we're gonna go places with you and i was with them for like 10 years i just left like three years ago because i needed something bigger and better what was the first thing they got you uh the first thing they got me was that's a raven <laughs> I was on that show, Raven, and um, yeah, I played a, a character named Chelsea, I think it was. But yeah, that was my first paid TV gig. Oh wow! Where I had words to say. And was that the point when you could leave any sort of day day job thoughts behind? Oh hell no! Nah. I was I was I got me a day hustle uh, working at a youth center teaching dance and improv and comedy. I had my own little drill team going. Mm-hmm. I was working doing bar mitzvahs, um, you know, every other weekend or so. Um, MCM. My title was energy producer because I might choreograph a dance routine or or MC the event or tell jokes or uh, orchestrate games. Like I'm, I was really good with kids. I'm, I'm still pretty good with kids. But so, yeah, I did that for like eleven years. <laughs> what was the last? What was the last moment when you realized you didn't need to do that anymore? Um, I would say it was two thousand and eight. It was yeah, that was two thousand and eight when I was like, yeah, I don't have the time. I was like doing janky promoters. I was doing a, I did a, I just was doing a Lifetime movie, I think, and Dev Comedy Jam, and like all this stuff was coming, and and I was like pursuing more so. Um, my goal, my my, you know, my fifth goal in life, and that was to be an entertainer, and it was it was panning out. So I kind of I stopped doing, it. and I was also getting old. I mean, I was like twenty seven. That's enough jumping around. <laughs> <laughs> so I stopped doing the bar mitzvahs and um, stopped working at the youth center. I just volunteer there from time to time. Now I take the kids surfing and things mm-hmm. like that. And um, and maybe do like a, a comedy, like an impromptu comedy camp show thing with them, like work with them for a month and get them, you know, a solid three minutes and um, do little shows like that for them. Because I really think it's important that children find their voice and have a platform to be able to speak and feel like it's safe to say how they feel about things. And if, if they can find a way to make it funny where other people can relate, it makes it easier to deal with life. And you know, when you realize you're not the only person going through something, it's like, oh, okay, God doesn't hate me so much. <laughs> like, this is a part of the process. How, That's how I feel about it anyway. How important is it for you in that respect to pay it forward to do? What Very you- important. Every month I'll go to an elementary school and talk to kids. I do stuff with Department of Children's Services. Like, you know, I try to make sure at least once a month I'm doing something to give back, share my story, you know, let them know that, because you know, people did that for me. In that comedy camp, they were sharing their stories with us and letting us know, like, you know, life is not the most easiest thing, but there's ways to go about doing what you love and, and enjoying yourself and being able to give back and share is really important to me because yeah. so many people share with me. 
and gave me an opportunity. Why not? Why shouldn't I do the same? Now, I, I had read, you've written some essays about your life that at one point you were living in your car. Yes. Oh, my God. When was, <laughs> when was that? That happened three different, that happened three different times. Um, the first time, uh, I, I didn't even have a car. The first time I was homeless, that's when I got emancipated and my grandma wasn't getting a check for me anymore. And she was like, well, you're not going to go to college. You're going to go somewhere. You're not going to be here. You're not going to be living off of me. And that's what made me go get a job and get myself together and, like, um, really get hunkered down and get focused. And that, and that was like three months of sleeping on people's couches and going from here to there. Mm-hmm. Then the second time, um, I had an apartment. I had an apartment, but then it, they went up on the rent, and I couldn't afford it anymore. And I had this car, and I was like, I'm going to just live in my car, shit. And I, I got baby wipes and <laughs> keep my nail and hair done. You know, if I keep my nails done and my hair done, nobody will know. And I did that for three months. And I was mm-hmm. sleeping in Beverly Hills. And um, so people be like, where you live? I'm like, I live in Beverly Hills. <laughs> but really, I was sleeping in my car in front of a house in Beverly Hills. And um, and it's funny how that came full circle because cut to a few years later, I book uh, HBO's Def Comedy Jam and the director of it invites me to his house for Super Bowl, and I go, and I'm like, oh, my God, I used to live right here. I used to live at this house. <laughs> and every morning at, like, 7 a.m., the police would come and make me move. Mm-hmm. And um, when, I, so when I walked in the house, I was like, you know, I used to live right here, Stan. This used to be, I used to live right here. He's like, not when? Because I've been here for over 20 years. I was like, I used to live right there, right in that car, right there. And he saw the car. He's like, that was you? Oh, my God, I used to call the police every morning at, like, 6.50 to get that piece of shit from in front of my house. <laughs> like, what kind of car was it? A GM Metro two-door hatchback. What? Oh, that is a piece <laughs> Yes. So, um, but I was proud of that car. That, I mean, that car got me so many places. And it's like, I feel like my whole life is always coming full circle. You know. How did, how, um, how did you keep going through that, especially the third time it happened? Oh, man. The third time it happened... It was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. I was just like, you know, I, I always think to myself, when something bad is happening, that's, that's something else that my grandma has taught me. Like, when something bad's going on in your life, it's a lesson. It's something you're supposed to be learning from this. And it, the, by the third time it happened to me, I was like, damn, you know, what am I not learning? I'm obviously making some kind of a mistake. Like, what is it that I need to learn from this, and how can I make it where this never happens again? So then I started learning how to save money, like take 10 cents from every dollar, you know, that I make, and that kind of adds up pretty quick, you know. Mm-hmm. And and um, so I, I, I've decided I'll never be homeless again. But dealing with that, it was just a lot of, like, crying, like allowing myself to be in my feelings for a little bit, and then just... And then it also humbled me to learn how to ask for help. You know, I remember Kevin Hart, he saw the suitcases and stuff in my car. And one day he, he pulled me, he pulled me to the side. We were doing this show at the Loud Factory called um, the Comedy Playground. We did it every Wednesday. And I guess he could see that something was wrong with me. And then when he saw the stuff in my car, he's like, Tiff, we need to have a conversation when this show is over. So we talked and he was like, what's going on with you? And I just... Uh, at first, I didn't want to tell him. He's like, I could tell something's up. And I was like, look, I'm homeless right now, man. I'm living in my car. But as long as my nails are done and my hair is done, I'm going to be all right. And I shower at my friend's house. Or I got baby wipes. You know, I'm good. 
And uh, he was like, a girl that's pretty as you, why don't you have a dude? Like, you should have some dude taking care of you. And I was just like, I, my integrity level was too high, I think. Like, I couldn't humble myself to be like, yeah, I'm going to just sleep with this dude for a place to sleep, like, mm-hmm. to have a roof over my head. I couldn't do that. And um, he gave me $300, and he told me, you get you a hotel room. Don't sleep in your car tonight. And he was like, I'm going to pray for you. You pray, and, you know, you get it together. Tiff, like, make a plan and get it together. Figure out what it is you want to do. Where do you want to live? Make a plan. And so I went and got me a hotel room at, like, the Snooty Fox on Western and King. <laughs> it was like, and it was like, um, it was like by the hour. So I got three hours, and it was like 20 bucks. Took me a good shower and stuff, and then just kind of took a little nap and just wrote out a plan. And then I'm telling you, uh, an hour hour after I left from there, I get a phone call, and it's my homegirl like, yo, my boy Reggie. And, and like, it was this was when I learned to humble myself and ask for help. Like, man, I need a place to stay. Can you help me find an apartment or something? Because I had some money. I wasn't broke. I just didn't have any credit or anything like that, so... She's like, girl, my homeboy Reggie, he owned buildings, and his friend got a place. You need to call him. So I called him, and he's like, yeah, that, that my homeboy had some crackheads just move out, and it's a one-bedroom. It's kind of messed up, but you might want to take a look at it. So I'm Chris Sean Adams, and I go over there and look at it, and it was it was a shithole. It was horrible. But all I had on me was $500. And um, the guy's like, yeah, if you want it, you know, it got roaches, it got this, but if you want it and give me another, you know, you give me $1,000, um, you can have it, mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, "Look, I got five hundred dollars, and I'll fix it up. How about I give you five hundred, and I'll fix it up?" And he was like, "Bet!" And I just handed him money right there, and he gave me the key like right there, and I still got that apartment. My sisters have lived in it, oh, my wow. cousins, my aunties. Like I've I've shared it with my family mm-hmm. over the years. Like it's been eleven years I've had that place. Wow. And, uh, no, ten years. It's been ten years. Yeah. No, 11. It was 2005. Yeah, that's 11 years. <laughs> so when Kevin Hart tells you to pray, you pray. Yeah, for sure. And if he say he's praying for you, you know it's going to work out. <laughs> yeah. That's why, like, whatever he asks me to do, I'm like, yeah, I'm there. Like, he always got an ally in me. <laughs> you've done right. you've done uh, four, at least four different TV comedy contests. Well, one of them was fake. One Reality Bites Back. But you've done, yeah, that was fake. But you've done like uh, Funniest Wins, Last Comic Standing, Bill Bellamy Show. What have you? Yeah. What have you learned about doing comedy when it's set up as like a competition? Uh, I've learned to just do the best you and don't win. <laughs> don't. I feel like the people that win, you never see them anymore. You'd be mm-hmm. like, what happened to? What happened to this person? What happened to that person? They won. Where are they? Like, I feel like the person that come in second, third, fifth place, those are the ones that really, like, have something happen for their career. So I never try to win. I just try to be the best me I can be and always show who I am, showcase who I am, and move on, you know? And then and I always look for it. But I never really want to win. I mean, I might say it in the interviews or whatever because they mm-hmm. ask you to do that, but I don't want to win. I just want to be second or third or fifth, like, because that's really the winner. <laughs> <laughs> You're not locked into no five-year contract with no strangers, you know? How much so. How much do these current projects you have right now, the Carmichael show on NBC and then uh, the new movie Keanu, the fact that you get to be third or fourth or fifth on both of those projects, how much does that kind of play into your wheelhouse then? Um, it plays great in my wheelhouse because, I mean, I, first off, uh, 
I get to always be like every character I play is like an aspect of who I am. Um, and so that's always fun. And then also like I'm open to do a little more like, I don't have as much responsibility as Gerard Carmichael does. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so that leaves me open to be able to do, you know, comedy shows and other things like pursuit of things I love to do. And it doesn't, it consumes my time, but it doesn't consume all my time. And then like to be number three on the call sheet of the Keanu movie and be the leading lady, which I didn't even realize that was happening until we were like <laughs> six weeks into shooting <laughs> to the, the, the end. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm in this movie a lot. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even realize it. You know, and I still haven't seen the movie. I don't know what the edit looks like. Shoot, I might only be in 10 minutes of it, but <laughs> they keep telling me I'm killing it and that I'm like the idea leading lady for this genre of movie. And, and um, I'm just like, you know, I'm always so grateful because it's just like when I think back to the nine-year-old Tiffany, you know, 10-year-old Tiffany, yeah. Uh, and to, to be living this life that I'm living right now, I would never, I could have, I could not have imagined that. Like, it makes me want to cry every time I think about it, because that, that little girl was scared, hurt, and feeling like she wasn't going to be shit. And now, she grown-ass woman, and I feel sorry for that little girl, but she is, like, living the ultimate life. And, and that I'm so proud of. I'm proud of that little girl, you know? Yeah. And it felt good to be able to say I'm proud of myself, because I didn't say that for a long time. So... You got a lot. Of, you got a lot of good just stuff. Just made my ovaries turn. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I ask all of my guests this: What is, who or what is the last uh, person or thing to give you some great advice? I know you mentioned getting advice from your grandmother and from Kevin Hart. Who? What's the la- What's the most recent or last great advice you've you've gotten? Oh wow! I get great advice all the time. Every time I talk to great people, I get great advice. But. Um, Loretta Devine gives some of the best advice. She taught me how to memorize, uh, like paragraphs and paragraphs of, uh, of, uh, lines and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, in a very, uh, cool way. And she's always telling me about, like, how, how you gotta be on time. Not that I'm ever late to work. I'm, I think I've only been late to work once, but she's always like, you know, in this business, you know, people get to a certain level and they think they could just be late. But I'm going to tell you right now, them people talk bad about you behind your back. So always be early and let them be, you know, you always be early. That's on time. And she always say that, but which is something I've always, I've, I've heard a lot in this business. So I try to stick with that, but she's always saying that. And then David Allen Greer is like, you know, always follow your first instinct when it comes to comedic acting, because that's the right one. And, and, and he's like, in, in most of the things you do in life, the first instinct is usually the right one. Don't doubt yourself. Never doubt yourself. Because sometimes when we're on set, I will be like, oh, maybe I'm doing too much. Like, I got to tone it down or really back in. I don't want to outshine anybody. And, and he and he always be like, fuck that. The sun don't care if it burns somebody's eyes out. It keep on shining. Shine, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so So true. It, mm-hmm. And I know you've had a lot of practice with this, but uh, the next time you see a teenage girl or somebody who wants to get in the business, what's the first thing you're going to tell them? The first thing I'm going to tell them yeah. is to figure out what it is you love about whatever it is you're trying to do and try to do that. Try to do that and then make a plan and do at least one thing every day towards your goal. 
Like, if you decide you want to be a lawyer, well, then you need to read a law, but do some, write a paper, write, like, prepare, whatever. Every single day you need to do something towards that goal. If you can do one thing every day towards it or five things every day towards it, you'll get there faster. Like, but always one thing, like, every day I'll do something towards comedy because that's really my, like, I want to be an old lady on stage telling jokes. Like, I want to roll up in my wheelchair and tell some jokes, you know, at 90 years old. So every day I do something, I write for 10 minutes, I make phone calls, I'll do an interview, I'll, you know, um, watch somebody else's stand-up and try to figure it, you know, like learn, study, read books, like every day something towards the big picture. And I know I want to run my own company, my own business, so I'm reading business books and taking business class, like every day doing something towards the big goal. And if you do one step every day, it doesn't seem like it's that hard. Right. As long as you stay focused on what's right in front of you. Like when you start looking five years in, you're like, damn, I can't make that. Like I never thought I would have a house and I have the, the most beautiful house, the house I always imagined. I have that house. Like it's the most beautiful house to me anyways. Maybe somebody else might think it's garbage, but to me, it's like my dream come true. And I just started that dream like 10 years ago. <laughs> it's like, boom, it happened. And there's, there's so. still time for you to have that beef jerky company. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. She Ready Jerky is coming. <laughs> <laughs> the haddish will be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tiffany, thank you so much for doing this interview and uh, for, thank you. for keeping that sunshine. Re- yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I'll, will I see you in Montreal this year? Definitely. Okay. Well, then um, I'll try to make sure I don't uh, knock you over <laughs> when I see you. <laughs> you just keep doing what you do because it's working out. Okay. Thanks. Well, you know, when I meet people and I like them, I like them. <laughs> and you know it. There's no there's no confusion. All right. Thanks, Tim. All right. Bye. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.